I guess if you're married, you can do hip bumps. That's fine. Well, this morning we get to dedicate a baby named Pace. So I want to invite the visitors to come on up today. Cody and Brandy, come on up. Let's welcome them this morning. Come on up, you guys. We have Paxton, we have Porter, and we have Pace. And this is the third little P that I've dedicated in this family. Come on over. Paxton, come on, buddy. Right over here by me. Remember, you said you were going to come up here with me today, so here we are. You going to stand by me? Okay, good. Good job. You're looking great. So this is Cody and Brandy. Brandy, that's a lot of boys. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? She is the queen of the home. Remember that, Cody, the queen of the home. And these are, these are her boys. These are her men. And this is little Pace, Pace Ripken. And uh, that's not a name you hear every day, but you guys love athletics and you love baseball. Cody loves baseball. And so this is Pace Ripken. And so today, Pace, we're going to dedicate you to Jesus. And we're going to, again, dedicate this whole family to the Lord today. So as you guys know, what we do here at North County is families bring their children and we dedicate them to the Lord. And they dedicate their home and their lives to raising these kids up in the love of Jesus. And that's basically what that means. And so we want to just pray God's best over you guys today. Now, the name Pace, uh, I'm told, comes from the word Passover. And that's a very, very special, special name and thought that uh, this little guy would be named after or a namesake of the beautiful illustration of Jesus um, forgiving us and redeeming us uh, first through the Passover. So we're going to just pray over you today, Pace. So family, would you just extend your right hand? Paxton, you want to come over here by mommy? Over here. There you go. Extend your right hand over this family. We're going to pray God's blessing and best over this family and over Pace today. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, thank you that you love us and you receive us as your own. And I thank you for this family that desires to keep you at the center of their life. And God, I know that we don't do that perfectly. So I pray for lots of grace and forgiveness when it's needed and lots of love in this home. And I just thank you, God, for a little pace today. And I thank you that even his name is an illustration of you and your goodness and your redemption. And God, I pray that he would be a man that would give his heart to you soon in life and would follow through just being a reconciler, Lord Jesus. That as a namesake of the Passover, God, that he would be one that would reconcile people uh, to you, Jesus, and to great friendship. And so we just pray that over him, God, that he would be one that, that would extend a heart of friendship, a heart of love, uh, redemption to those people that are in his life. And I just thank you for Cody and Brandy today, God. Thank you for this family. And I just pray for each of them that you would help them to raise these boys in your love. Um, all that they do when they have to discipline, um, when they get to have fun times, joyful times, just normal times, God, whatever it is, I pray that they would do all in the love of Jesus and that you would help them do that. So just continue to fill them with your spirit, Lord, and pour them out as a blessing to these boys. Thank you for Paxton and Porter today, Lord. Bless them. Help them to be the best big brothers they can be to pace. And bless this family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, this is just, this kind of happened. The ladies made a quilt with baseballs on it. And so Sonia picked it out for pace. So there you go, pace. There's a quilt. 
with, uh, you know, Ripken is a famous baseball player, for those of you that don't know, Cal Ripken Jr. So thanks, you guys. Thanks for coming up and letting us do that. See you, buddy. All right, see you later. Give them a big round of applause, would you? Cool. All right, so next week we're going to talk a little more about uh, India because we're going to be talking about focused faith, focused faith for doing good. But this week was a little different, and so we're not going to um, take the time to do that this week. But I do have a few announcements I want to make to you this morning, for you this morning. So let me find them in my pocket. There we go. So uh, pull your program out if you don't mind, and there's a lot of great stuff in there today. Uh, so I want to highlight a couple of things. One thing is that we had an international potluck Friday night, and it was so good. I got to tell you, you missed out on some amazing food from so many different countries. And we really have an international crowd here at North County Christ the King. You may not know that, but we have people that grew up in Chile, in Ecuador, um, different places around the world. And it was really, really fun to get together and meet a bunch of different um, original nationalities and eat their food. So thank you for doing that. And Marlene was really in charge of that, uh, and along with uh, a lot of staff help. So, wonderful. I want to mention Be the One Family Night Out on February 14th. What a great night to take your family to a fun time. You know, if you're past kind of the go out on a date on February 14th, get your family together. Come on out. This is, the, this is going to help fun to be the one. And we're going to have Sterling with us who grew up in our church. I don't know if you know that. Grew up here and loves the Lord with all his heart. And, you know, we used the word magic last week, and I'm sorry if that offended anybody. Um, I'm going to say illusionist this morning, okay? He's an illusionist, and he's really good. He's won some awards uh, for his illusions. And so I really recommend you to come on out for that. And uh, if you can, if you're going to come, please buy the advance tickets so that they know how many people are going to come. Then they can have enough food for you. Does that make sense? All right, so do that. Um, Potato Feed Mexico fundraiser, and along with the Pilgrim's Progress Night, uh, come on out for that, and you need to sign up in advance because, again, we need to know how many potatoes to have. But that's going to be a fun night where the Mexico team, I think they have 30 or 40 kids going to Mexico this summer. So the Mexico team is going to be feeding you guys, and you can find out the details in your program. And that's going to be just before the Pilgrim's Progress movie uh, that is free. You can come to that. Uh, come to the potato feed. That's not free. Uh, come to the, to the Pilgrim's Progress. That is free. We will be taking an offering for that because their goal is to translate this movie into 200 languages and so any money that you give will go toward that, that process. But it's free. So come on out. You don't have to give, but we would love it if you do. Okay? So potato feed, sign up. Right? You got that? Potato feed, sign up. Okay. So this week is a very special week for me because we're talking about relationships. And those of you who know me, you know that I love relationships and I love helping people with their marriages and with their relationships. So week five this week is called Focus Faith for Relationships. Uh, one of the main focuses of my faith over the last 36 years has been my marriage. Because if you're like me, I wasn't naturally good at marriage when I got married. Anybody else willing to admit that you weren't really good at marriage? You were selfish like me? And so the last 36 years I've been learning to become less selfish, and that takes focus faith. It takes faith to become less selfish. I mean, you throw a man and a woman into a pot called marriage, you know, so different in our personalities, in our values, uh, in the things that we think are important, just different in our gender, right? And you throw them into this pot called marriage, and it's a process for disaster. 
I mean, it really is. And there's all kinds of difficulties that happen in this thing we call marriage. And that's why every marriage needs focused faith. And if you're married in the room or you've been married in the room, you understand what I'm talking about. It takes a lot of faith to have a great relationship. Gary Thomas said in his book, Sacred Marriage, that God did not give us marriage to make us happy. God gave us marriage to make us holy. And, you know, marriage is probably one of the greatest change agents that our world has ever known. Where else do a man and a woman become so different than they were before they got married? It doesn't mean that you can't change without marriage, but it does mean you're thrown into this pot where, you know, you've got to become a better person if you're going to make it work, right? And you've got to learn how to love better. So marriage can squeeze the selfishness right out of us, leaving us a little more holy leaving us as people who truly love. Now, Gwen and I were 19 and 22 when we got married, and no one prepared us for marriage. Just got to be honest. No one really prepared us for marriage. I mean, we had one session with our pastor and his wife, and they ended up arguing during the session. And Gwen and I looked at each other, and we're like, yeah, this isn't helpful, you know? And so we had one session. That's all we had. We never had another session. They didn't offer. We didn't offer. And so we were just kind of thrown in, and we were on our own. And if we needed help, we had to ask somebody, and we were never really sure who to ask because we didn't see any perfect marriages around us because there aren't any, right? And so we were thrown into this thing. And I want to say, as I was thinking about this, and to stay true to the text this morning, and this is the truth, I would say that if I had to identify one characteristic that has really helped us have the best relationship we could possibly have is having focused faith to submit to one another. Having focused faith to submit to the needs of one another, to what we recognize the other person needs, and, and to give ourselves to learning what those needs are, to, to knowing this person that we're married to, and then responding the best we can to those needs. Uh, because God wants our Christ-centered marriage to represent His image. And God's image includes this thing that we call submission. You know, we're made in the image of God, right? Imago Dei. God created Adam. Out of Adam, and, uh, out of Adam God made Eve. These two very distinct persons and genders. And then He puts them back together again and He says, Be one. Right? Be one. How hard is that? But here's what I want to say to you today, that you can only be as one as you are willing to submit to the other person's needs. Oneness is a direct result of mutual submission. And so if you're not willing to submit, don't count on ever having a great relationship. And honestly, in my life as a counselor, as a pastoral counselor, I can tell you, without exception, the marriages that are difficult or the marriages that fall and fail, include one or both people that are not willing to submit to the needs of the other. That is just the way relationships go. And so submission is a characteristic of God. Like God is love, God also embraces and employs this characteristic called submission. We see Jesus submitting to the plan and and the command of His Father. So within the Trinity, we see submission. And so as marriages, and and Paul talks about this in Ephesians, we represent the image of God to our lost world by practicing this thing we call submission. 
Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, don't even do it for what you get out of it. Although I will tell you the benefits are huge. Do it because you revere Jesus. And like we sang about this morning, you're grateful for his submission to the Father going to the cross. Imagine if he just said no. You know, I'm not going. That doesn't sound like fun to me. You know, where would we be without Jesus choosing to submit to the Father? So today, Peter takes us from submitting to all authority, that Matt Bateman did a great job talking to you about last week, to submitting to one another in our relationships. And let me start by talking a little bit about what that means to a man, because I believe that that men really should lead in this thing we call submission. I, I really believe that man should submit to Christ and be the husband that their wife needs them to be. And that the marriage is always better when the man is willing to submit to Christ and to love his wife like Christ loved the church. So how does this look? Well, my role is to submit to God's command to love my wife, to be sacrificial like Jesus was, to understand her needs, to care for her the best I can, to honor her giftings. My wife is gifted. I need to understand what those gifts are and then help her reach her potential by developing those gifts. And then to enjoy my life. We spend way, or my wife, we spend way too much time being angry or resentful about the things we don't enjoy. How about enjoying the things we can and really loving and cherishing our wife for who she is? And then my job as a husband is to promote oneness in our relationship. And this is simply good leadership. This is submitting to Christ and saying, I'm going to do my best to love my wife the best I can. And that takes a lifetime to fulfill, doesn't it? It really does. It takes a lifetime. So when Peter gives the leadership structure in marriage, in this passage we're going to look at, he's not comparing the worth or value of a woman to a man. He's not comparing positions in marriage. Uh, marriage is a structure that represents and reveals something about God. And for whatever reason, God chose marriage to be one of the main illustrations for Christ's relationship with the church. And just like Jesus Christ, the Son, is subject to the Father, then the church is subject to Jesus Christ, right? In fact, we're even called his, his spouse or his wife. And in marriage, which represents the church's relationship to Jesus, there are roles that we live out that best represent and best paint a picture to the world about the relationship that Christ has with his church. And that's what this is about. Not to mention that marriages work better when we do things this way, but, but marriage is really about painting a picture of God's relationship with us. So let's jump in. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Now, this is a principle. This is not a formula. So not everybody is won over by the pure and godly lives of a woman. But some may be won over. And so Peter starts this passage with this phrase, in the same way. And, and that's very important because if you remember the passage just before this in chapter 2, which, by the way, when he wrote this letter, they weren't separated by text and, or by numbers, right? Chapters and numbers, verses. 
But Peter starts with in the same way. And what he's referring us back to is in the same way that Jesus submitted to the Father and went to the cross. That's what Peter's referring to when he says in the same way. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. This is your example, and you must follow in his steps. That's the passage he's referring to. So that's what focused faith does. Number one in your notes today, focused faith chooses to trust God and accept authority. Focused faith chooses to trust God and accept authority. Now, first of all, I just want to clear the air here, and I want to say this to you. This passage was not written for men. It was not written for men to take this passage and hold it over the heads of your wives and say, Submit, woman. That is not why it was written. This was written as an encouragement to wives, to encourage wives in the best way to represent Christ in your marriage. And really, at the end of the day, only a woman can choose to place herself under the authority of her husband, right? Nobody can force. Anybody ever tried to force a woman to do that? It does not turn out well, you know? They dig their heels in, you know, and and no, they're not going to go there, right? Because that's not the way it's meant to be. Submission is a choice that we make. It has to be willing. And wives, you may say, well, I really don't respect my husband. So why would I submit to his authority? And here's what Peter says about that. He says it's not about respect. He says submission, if you choose to do this, you submit to the authority even of someone that's not a believer. Even of somebody that has not given their heart to Christ. And Peter says this is your part of being godly. If you want to be like Christ, this is what Peter says it takes. And then he says that your life will speak to him and possibly even win him over. Even if you're married to an unbeliever, this is the possibility. So here's the important thing here for you ladies this morning. The important thing is to invite your husband to lead. And I'm not saying he's going to do it well. But if you don't make room for him to lead, he won't lead. Men are very comfortable with letting their wives lead. But the problem with that is men will also become resentful for letting their wives lead. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. So, ladies, the first thing you can do is to invite your husband to lead, to allow him to do that. And the reason this is such a powerful way for a wife to live is that it requires you, ladies, to place your trust in God. You can't trust that your husband's going to lead well. He may not. And that's not what this is about. What this is about is you going deeper with Christ and trusting him to the level where you say, I'm going to allow my husband to to lead me. And again, this is not about position. This is not about power. This is about a role that you've been given to play by God. And so that's what this is about. Now, let me say this. I think that every woman I've ever spoken to about marriage, and there have been hundreds in 36 years, of women that have come into me alone, some that have come into me me with their husbands. But in every case, I can't think of any exception, every woman I've spoken to deeply longs for her husband to lead. She wants him to lead. You know, the trouble is is when he's selfish and leads for himself. That's the trouble. But truly, every woman, including my wife, my wife wants me to lead. She doesn't want responsibility, you know, in this leadership thing. She wants me to lead, but to lead for her benefit. She wants me to lead well, 
for her. And that's love, right? To live in such a way that benefits the other. And that's what most, if not every woman I've ever met that's married wants from her husband. She wants him to protect her. She wants him to provide for her. She wants him to make life secure for her. She wants him to understand her. And she wants him to care for her. You know? And if I don't understand her, she wants me to act like I do. Because who can really understand a woman? Come on. Right? I don't think men are really capable of that. But, but to cherish her and to be compassionate and care about her, even in those areas we don't understand. Let me throw this in there. Eve often gets the blame for original sin. And she did. She did sin. But I want to point out that Adam abdicated his leadership. Adam did not step up and protect his wife. He should have whacked the snake. Should have whacked it. How dare you tempt my wife? How dare you tempt my wife? Should have whacked the snake. And he didn't whack the snake. He didn't take authority. And Eve was left vulnerable. And she gave in to temptation. But part of the problem was that Adam neglected to lead his wife in a way that was best for her. He should have said, honey, don't eat the fruit. Remember what God said. But he did what many men do. He stood silent. He did not speak. He did not lead. And so all of us want control. Everybody wants control. And so, ladies, this morning you have to remember that part of the curse of the original sin in Genesis 3.16 is that you will desire to control your husband. That's what God said. That was part of the curse. You will desire to control your husband. So here's the thing. Since that's part of the curse, for you to reverse the curse means to place your trust deeply in Christ and give up control of your husband and allow him to lead, allow him to grow into this thing called leadership. If you don't make room for him, he never will. So you've got to make room for, his hus- for your husband to lead. And again, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying he's going to do it well. But I'm saying this is focused faith for the best relationships. Peter goes on in verse 3. He says, Don't be concerned about outward beauty, of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. Here it is. Here's how they made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him master. You know, I like that. It has a ring to it. (laughs) Pastor Kurt here, Master Kurt at home. What do you think? She's not laughing. (laughs) I'm kidding you, honey. But, But here's the deal. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear. That's that's the key. We like to control life, including our relationships, because we fear losing, losing ourselves, losing control, you know, somehow being taken advantage of. And and that may happen. But God wants us to do this without fear. And that requires focused faith. It requires trust. 
So I want to just point out that Peter's not saying don't fix your hair, don't wear jewelry, don't have nice clothes. Please, please do those things. We love it, right? But Peter is saying pay more attention to the inner person than the outer. And that beauty is confidence. There's nothing more beautiful than a confident woman who puts her trust in the Lord and knows who she is and is not afraid to make room for her husband. This beauty is confidence, and nothing requires more trust, more confidence than submitting to another person. It's not weakness. It's strength. It's the Lord's strength that helps you be able to do that. So focused faith chooses to trust God and accept authority. Secondly, number two, focused faith gives honor, seeks to understand, and embraces equal partnership. This is for you men in the room. Here we go. We only get one verse because we can't remember a whole lot. But here it is, guys. If you can remember these three three things, you'll be a winner. In the same way, right, referring back to Christ, submitting to go to the cross, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, and that's simply referring to physical strength and that, generally speaking, women tend to be more emotional than men. Not always true, but that's the tendency. And so maybe weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner. Would you say equal partner? Equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. It's interesting. Peter says that if you don't treat your wife as you should... It's going to hinder your prayers. It's going to hinder your relationship with God. So we've got a lot riding on this here, guys. We need to treat our wives as they should be treated. So here's what we need to remember, men. Three things. Honor, understand, and equal partnership. Those three things. And just like only a wife can choose to place herself under authority, only a husband can choose to honor and understand and have equal partnership in the relationship. Wives, you can't force that to happen. And again, like women, you know, when men try to make a woman submit, wives, you try to control your husbands, they're going to dig in their heels. Have you ever tried that? Let me see. Anyone ever tried to make your husband be different? You can't make him. But I love the word invite. Ladies, you can invite your husband to do these three things and make room for these three things in your relationship. So here they are, guys. You need to write these down. They are not in your notes. Number one, honor. What does it mean to give honor to your wife? What does that mean? Well, let me give you a few thoughts of what I think it means in, in my marriage. My wife, I think, would say that she wants me to care about what she thinks. That's honorable. And she wants me to care about what she feels, and she wants me to validate what she feels and what she thinks. She wants me to at least acknowledge what she's thinking and feeling and validate those things. I think my wife wants me to encourage her to reach her full potential, to develop and use the gifts that God has placed within her. She's amazingly gifted. And so why would I not want those gifts to emerge? Why would I not want her to share those with the world? She's gifted, so I believe to honor her means helping her reach her potential. She has a ministry to accomplish. 
And I think Gwen would say to me, Honey, lead me in a loving way with my best interests in mind. I think that's what she would say to me. And take responsibility for the spiritual health of our family. Men, we need to step up. Take responsibility. Those of you with young children especially, take responsibility for the spiritual health of your family. It's your job. It's not my job to be responsible for the spiritual growth of your children. It's your job. And so take responsibility for that. Uh, and, And don't leave that to your wife. She wants you to take the leadership in that role. The second one is understanding. Let's write that down, understanding. Treat her with understanding. And Gwen would say, understand what I need and give me that. I need you to take responsibility for the general well-being of our family. I think Gwen would say that. I need a safe and loving home, an environment I'm not afraid to go home to, but I can relax and I can be myself and I can share openly. I think she would say, I need you to be gentle, not harsh and demanding. I think she would say that. I think she would say, I need you to understand that I need security. I need you to take care of us in every way. I need your attention. And I want you to pursue me emotionally, spiritually, physically. I want you to pursue me. I need you to take care of me in every way. I need security, so I want you to make sure that the bills are paid. Make sure that we're planning for the future and our retirement. Make sure we have enough to live on when we're old. Now, all of these things we partner together in, but she wants to know that at the end of the day, I'm going to be sure that these things are happening. She wants to know that. And then number three, equal partnership. Equal partnership. This is what our marriage is built on. I'll be honest with you. You know, we make decisions together. We do life together. Uh, we absorb the good, the bad, and the ugly together. We partner in life together. So for me as a husband to see Gwen and to treat her as my equal partner, and, and I'm not lording over her in any way. You know, even though she chooses to place herself under my leadership, that doesn't mean that I'm lording that over her. We are equal partners in God's gift of new life. In Christ... Our value is equal. Our value is equal. Our position is equal. It's equitable. I don't have a higher position. It's just a different role. And our eternal destination is equal. And our giftings are equitable. You know, when it comes to personality, my wife is a stronger leader than I am. She's a lion. I'm a golden retriever. I just wag my tail a lot, you know. But that doesn't mean I'm weak. It doesn't mean I don't lead. It just means that I do it differently. And she's a visionary. And I'm much more of a maintainer. And so there are giftings that she has that really contribute to our marriage. You know, when Paul was teaching the Galatians about coming out from under the law, he said, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul gives equitable value to the man and the woman in marriage, even though there are different roles to play. So let's partner in life, right? Let's make decisions together. Let's be as one as we possibly can be. And then let's understand, men, that the gifts that your wife brings to bear in your relationship are valuable, are powerful. You need them. And you need to honor them. 
And you need to speak highly of them privately and publicly. Your wife should hear from you what it is that you enjoy about her. Proverbs 31, 31 says, Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds, let her deeds publicly declare her praise. Take her to Cabo. You know, I mean, what do you got to do to reward her? You know, do that. Find out what she likes and do that for her. And finally, number three. Number three this morning, focus faith in regard to relationships. Cares deeply for one another. Focus faith cares deeply for one another. Peter now is going to shift back to all believers. So he's going to leave just the husband and wife relationship. And he's going to shift back to all of us, whether we are single or whether we are married this morning. And here's what he writes. Verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Let me just stop there for a second. You know, at one time, Lyndon held the world record for what? The most churches per square mile. Now, we've been beat out by Wheaton, apparently. But there's a reason for all those churches. First, second, third, faith, fourth, fifth. You know what I mean? And do you know what the reason is? It's actually a couple of reasons. One is they needed more room, so they expanded into other churches. But another reason is that believers have different doctrinal stances and different preferences. And so we're not one mind about everything, are we? Worship styles, how loud the music should be, all those different kinds of things. But there is one thing that we really need to be of one mind about. Who is that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the cross. It's his resurrection. That is what we need to be one mind about. We keep Jesus and his gospel the main thing. We are unified through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all need the same thing. We need forgiveness. We need his blood. We need his restoration. And so we keep him the main thing. In fact, Paul said to the Corinthians church that he would forget everything except the crucified Christ. Now, I love every church in our, in our community that is preaching Christ. I really do. And I'm friends with a lot of the pastors, even though we may believe things differently about our doctrinal stance. If they keep Christ central, I'm all for them. And I believe in them. But what's beautiful about North County, I'm just going to say this this morning because I love it. And the International Potluck was such a picture of this. What's beautiful about North County is that we are a melting pot. We are... We are an absolute melting pot of peripheral doctrinal perspectives. We've got everything from the evangelical church represented in our congregation. And yet, we come together and we worship Jesus together. And we lift our voices to him. And we celebrate who he is. And we are one church. We are a unified church when it comes to Jesus Christ. We may not all agree on on what I call peripheral doctrinal perspectives. But we unite around Christ. We do. So Peter says that. Let's be of one mind. Secondly, Peter says, to have focused faith for great relationships, we need to sympathize with each other. And to do that, we need to know each other. There's people in your church that you should get to know. You should start a small group. You should be in a small group with some people that you can get to know so that you can sympathize with somebody. Understand what others are facing. You know, the Cunninghams are here in church this morning Dexter and Jen and their family, and Dexter plays drums, you know, 
three out of four or eight out of ten or nine out of ten times, you know, I don't know, Dexter, what you play. You weren't playing this morning, but, but you know, this flood that just happened, they got blown away by this flood. And so we need to know that, and we need to sympathize with that, and we need to jump in and help, and we need to do whatever we can to understand what they're going through. We may be living in a dry house, but we need to understand that they're not and to sympathize with them and to take time to care about them. Everybody's going through something all the time. And so to sympathize with one another is so important and that requires focused faith because to be honest, we don't care about other people. Right? That's the human nature. We don't care and we don't want to care because if we care, then we have to help. And we don't want to help. We're too busy. And so we need to sympathize. And it takes faith to do that because it means being less selfish and caring more for what people are experiencing and going through. So sympathize. Ask questions. Find out the story. And then enter into the story. That's why I went to India. To enter into the story. To find out what they're going through so that we can help. So that you can care and so that you can, number three, love each other as brothers and sisters. That's what Peter says next. He says, love each other as brothers and sisters. Now, I've got brothers and sisters. I was uh, born sixth of six brothers and sisters, or six of us. And I've lost one brother, Mark. And I loved Mark. He's, he's the brother I grew up with. He was five years ahead of me, but he took me everywhere, which was not always good. You know. I had a lot of firsts with Mark, but I loved him. I loved him, and I miss him. And, you know, I could count on him. And he was an amazing influence in my life. And if he were here today without a moment of hesitation, I'd go up to him and I would hug him with the biggest hug. Yeah. I'd love to be able to do that again. And I will, right? But this is what Peter is saying. He's saying love each other like this. Like brothers and sisters, we should become familiar with one another. We should know what's going on in each other's lives, like our own family. Let me give you a couple, couple examples that happened this week for me in, in India. I met Big Daddy. I met Big Daddy. Now, Big Daddy's the guy with the beard. Big Indian guy. Almost as tall as me. And, in fact, he was thankful that someone taller came, me and Rob Knapp. So we both had him under the armpit, right? He liked it. So I met Big Daddy at this orphanage. He runs an orphanage for HIV-positive kids. Every child in his orphanage is HIV-positive. So we spent the day there, had lunch there, took the kids out for dinner. And when I met Big Daddy, I said, Can I hug you? <laughs> he got the biggest smile. He said, Yes. Now, I've never met him before. He's a big guy, right? I wrapped him up. I wrapped him up. Why would I do that? Because he's my brother. He's my brother, and he's going through things I can't even imagine what he's going through with these kids that he's helping. And he needed to know that I accepted him. You know, they have this perspective of white people, that we come over and that somehow we're all that. He needs to know I'm not all that. He needs to know I'm his brother. So then there was this guy named Rashid, and I met a guy who was Muslim, Grew up Muslim in a Muslim family, and now he lives in Indore. 
And he was brought to Christ. This remarkable story, I'm not going to tell you now, but uh, Ramshan, who we support through Ichthus, led him to Christ after three years. And he is the first known Muslim convert in Indore. Indore is over a million people. He's the first known Muslim convert. So he's the guy in the gray jacket with the red. These other guys, well, that's Ramshan there on the end. He's the director of YWAM for India. Those three guys there are all converts that this guy, Rashad, made. Isn't that amazing? It's remarkable. So I met him, and this is a guy who hated Christians, hated Christians before he became one. So I met him, and I said, can I give you a hug? It's like I'm needy or something, right? And, <laughs> and so that's why I say give, not get. I want to give you something. And he's got the biggest smile on his face, and I wrap this guy up. Now, here's a Muslim who's become a Christian. He's my brother. And there are now a 100 converts in the city of Indor, in the underground church. Underground church. You are still persecuted severely, especially in the Muslim world, if you leave the faith of the Muslim and become a Christian. And so it's very dangerous for these guys. So to love him like a brother... He needed me to do that. I needed to do that. And I've got a couple new brothers now. Unlikely brothers. But they're my brothers, right? And then Peter says, be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Be tenderhearted. Don't let your heart be hardened. Now, in church, it's easy to have our hearts become hardened. Because we hurt each other. We do. We fail each other. We hurt each other. We let each other down. And, you know, I'm going to fail you sometimes. I don't always say things right. I don't always remember to do things. I'm going to offend you sometimes. I just am. And you're going to do that with others. And we're a family. And that's what family does. If family does anything well, it's hurt each other. Right? Even in your own families, we hurt each other. But then we have this thing called grace. And the ability to let the Holy Spirit keep your heart tender toward one another. And the very real challenges that we face. So don't let your heart be hardened by the hurts and the failures of other believers that you're doing life with. But forgive and have grace and confront. It's good to confront. Speak the truth in love. But then let God heal those wounds and let him keep your heart tender so that you don't put up your guard and go through life with a guarded heart. Because that's not effective. It's not very fun, right? And then the last thing here, last couple things, keep a humble attitude. You know, it's very easy to look at people and their issues and to think, man, I'm glad I don't have that problem. I'm glad that's not me. They've got, boy, look at that problem. Well, guess what? You've got problems too. And besides that, you might be the next one to mess up. Or you might be the next one that has a kid that messes up. Or you might be the next one that has a marriage that goes sideways. So just remember to be humble and not judge people for the trouble they're going through. You know, make sure that you're working on the log in your eye and not the speck in somebody else's. And finally, and I love this, I love this one. Be a blesser, not a cursor. Be a blesser, not a cursor. When someone is less than gracious with you, choose to bless, not to curse. Verse 9 says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. 
Now, the word blessing here in the Greek is eulogiantis, to speak well of someone. That's what it means. To bless somebody means to speak well of somebody. I like to think of it like this, to find the good in somebody and make that your focus. Listen, you can, you can find enough bad about me, and you can easily make that your focus. But what about looking for the good and saying, okay, that's what I'm going to focus on. In our marriages, in our relationships in the church, I'm going to find the good in somebody, and I'm going to thank them for that good, and I'm going to appreciate them for that good, and I'm going to bless them for their help or for their service. I'm going to realize that they have a tough life or a hard job, and I'm going to be compassionate, and I'm going to choose to bless. So I'm going to make a statement here, and I believe this is, this is really true, that a lot of the happiness we experience in life and a lot of the unity we experience in our relationships come primarily by how we speak to one another. You know, we can say things a couple different ways, can't we? We can say things in a way that is demeaning to people, or we can say things in a way that is a blessing. And so we've got to think about how we say what we say. So be a blesser. To bless is best. I always like to think about Thumper and what his father told him. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Right? And that was Thumper. Come on. We can do better than a rabbit. Right? So if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. When it comes to all of our relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendships, whether it's the church, where we're not always friends, but we're brothers and sisters, and so we have to love each other, right? We don't always like each other, but we have to love each other. Focus faith in all of these situations. Focus faith cares less about me and cares more deeply about one another. So that's what we're working on with our focus faith. Would you stand with me this morning? Worship team's going to come, lead us in some worship, and then I'm going to come back and pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, as we just come to you this morning, just may our hearts be grateful to you, Lord. May our hearts be open to you. May our hearts be tender towards you. May we not harden our hearts by hearing your word this morning. May we not dig in our heels and say, I'm not going to submit or I'm not going to love and honor. God, may we respond to your word. May we allow your word to make us better than we were before. Better husband, better wife, better friends, better brothers and sisters. Lord, we worship you. We want to be the best that you want us to be. Thank you, Lord.